We're going to begin this afternoon in Ezra 10. Ezra chapter 10. We're going to notice the first two verses. Now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. <clears throat> now the, the particular problem that was being addressed in chapter 10 is very unique uh, to Israel at that time. It is going to be very rare that you find a, uh, a whole nation of folks that find themselves in a position where Israel had found themselves. It's very rare that you're going to find a whole congregation of, of the Lord's people that find themselves in that same position. So what we want to do is to take the premise uh, from which is being taught here and make some kind of application to today's life. I don't think there's any greater example of dedication toward God than the account of Ezra and those who uh, uh, came before Ezra. Now the background to Ezra chapter 10 is the return from Babylonian captivity. God had stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus uh, of Persia to make a a proclamation before all the people. And he said this in Ezra 1 verse 2, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. I think that fits right along with the accounts uh, uh, that we read in uh, uh, Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar made that statement that God works within the kingdoms of men. We get over to Romans chapter 13 and we find that God puts into rule those who He wants to be in rule. And he, He may place people in leadership positions in a country to punish those people. You never know what... His thinking is we do not have the mind of God. Maybe we, uh, uh, a certain people were given an opportunity to make changes in a certain way and those changes didn't happen. And so He gives the people what they ask for. At any rate, we understand that God uses the kingdoms of people throughout the world to carry out His purposes. Now, uh, Zerubbabel was privileged to, re- to uh, lead the first return of God's people from captivity so they could rebuild the temple, Ezra chapter 2. Nehemiah was the leader of the third return so they could repair the walls, uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. But it was Ezra who brought this second group of folks back. He brought them back because he saw that there was a need, there was a problem in the worship uh, of God was not being carried out properly. And not that it just wasn't being carried out properly, The folks had been in the land for 50 years and nothing was going on. They weren't doing the things they should have been doing. And so uh, by the time God sent Ezra to lead the people back, they had become complacent in their lives. In fact, it was almost 60 years. It was around 58 years since the temple had been rebuilt and the zeal of God's people had begun to wane and it had turned into apostasy. The princes... Uh, report caused Ezra to grieve 
and to understand that something had to be done. The report came to Ezra and he heard the things that was going on and the things that weren't going on that needed to happen and he was grieved in his spirit. They said this, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and uh, the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. Ezra 9, 1 through 2. So the leaders were the ones who were uh, uh, doing this as much as anyone. Now, what was the big deal? Someone looks around and says, Well, what was the problem? What was the issue of marrying someone outside the nation of Israel? After all, uh, uh, why can't we bring in other folks? Why can't we teach them what God's message was? Well, they were supposed to be teaching what God's message was. They were supposed to be uh, being a light to the rest of the world. There were provisions made in the law of Moses for those folks, but here was the problem. The Messiah. The lineage of Jesus. It was a prophecy, and it began in Genesis chapter 3, and it had been carried on down. The prophet spoke of this Messiah who would come through Israel, who would specifically come through the, the lineage of David. And now what happens when the, when the seed of Abraham becomes so influenced with outside nations that you can't keep track of who's who. Jesus comes in through the, line, the lineage and now you don't know who he belongs to, you don't know who his mother is, who his father is, you have no idea, you can't trace his lineage and what does that do to the prophecy? It does the same thing that happened when Abraham had gone down into Egypt and he lied about his wife Sarah and said it was his sister and they put her in a harem. What would have happened if that king of Egypt had, uh, had relations with Sarah? What would they have said about Isaac when Isaac came along? He very well may have been Abraham's child. But what would the world have said? Oh, well, that, that child belongs to the king of Egypt. He doesn't belong to Abraham. Well, what was the lineage of Jesus? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David. The same thing happened when Isaac did the exact same thing. He finds himself down in uh, Egypt. He lies about his wife. She ends up in a harem. The king happens to look and see that they're behaving in such a way that, hey, they're not brother and sister. And so he says, why would you lie to me? What if I'd done such and such? And God was punishing that household. He said, hey, get out of my country. He gave him a bunch of gifts. He sent him away. He said, go away. What would have happened if through the lineage of Isaac that someone said, well, those children don't belong to Isaac. They belong to the, to the king of Egypt or the king of Philistia. That would have meant that was the problem that was going on in Israel. They had to keep the lineage pure so the Messiah could come through. And that affects us today. That would have affected the people in today's world 2,000 years ago. See, Ezra understood the need for dedication 
and the necessity for those folks to refocus on what was important in this life. They needed to get back together and get their heads where they needed to be. Now we're not given an, an abundant amount of information about Ezra. We're told some things that are very important. We're told the most important thing about Ezra. And that's found in Ezra 7 verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. That's all we need to know, isn't it? And that's all that's needed to know, to be known, if one or a group of folks want to rededicate themselves and get themselves back on track in the sight of God. And what it boils down to is personal responsibility, doesn't it? We all remember the name Queen Victoria, Queen of England. When Queen Victoria was a child, she didn't realize that she was in line to be the Queen of England, to to inherit the throne. Well, her instructors tried and tried to prepare for the future, and they became so frustrated because she just would not take her studies seriously. She would not take uh, all the other things that come along with eventually becoming a royal seriously, and particularly at that time because she would have been the ruler of the nation. Finally, her teachers decided to tell her one day. They brought her in, and... They sat her down and they said, Do you realize that you are going to be the Queen of England one day? We're talking about a young girl. And the story goes, upon hearing that, Victoria quietly said, Then I will be good. She understood the great responsibility that came with that high calling. Now that's that's just a position in the world, right? That's just a position in the world. But she realized what she had inherited. And she wanted to do the things necessary. Now that's personal responsibility. And how did that affect her? Well, it affected her conduct, didn't it? It changed who she was. And that's what Ezra knew the people were missing. They needed someone to sit down with them and explain to them exactly where they were and what they needed to do. And they needed to take responsibility for their actions. Now the title of the sermon this afternoon is Yet Now There Is Hope. Yet Now There Is Hope. And I think we can learn from the mistakes that Israel made. I think we can learn from the way in which they overcame these mistakes and make that application to our lives today. There is hope in obedience. There is hope in obedience. And for Israel to become obedient to God's commandments, they had, to, they had to do some things. The first thing they had to do, and the first thing we notice in the text, is they had to begin with confession. They had to begin with confession. In this particular passage, I think, what we're going to look at probably goes all the way down to verse 17. But Ezra realized there was a problem. If we're ever going to fix something... If we're ever going to realize things have gotten out of hand and they need to get back on track, we must first realize there's a problem, right? You can't fix it unless you realize it's torn up. And we can never get comfortable with where we are. We have to always be willing to reach ahead and to do better and to do more. That's what the the apostles taught. That's what Jesus taught. They never got comfortable. They never were comfortable with where they were They wanted to do more and to always do more. We were talking about uh, the miracles this morning in class and how 
Jesus healed the two uh, blind men and then the dumb man, and I believe it was what was it, Matthew chapter 9. And uh, uh, right after he had raised Jairus' daughter, he had walked out of Jairus' home, and immediately he has these two blind men crying out to him, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. They follow him straight into the home where probably he was going to go rest for a moment. They followed him right in there and he immediately healed them. And then what did they do? They brought a dumb man in there that had an evil spirit and he couldn't speak. What did he do? He healed them. He never stopped. He kept going. He kept going doing more and more. You know what he said? There'll be time to rest later. Work while it is day. The night cometh when no man shall work. You see, Jesus said the gospel was going to be carried into all the world, right? Mark 14, 9. And it was. We read that in Colossians 1, 23. But there needs to be more. Just because at one time it was carried into all the world, that doesn't mean we can stop what we're doing. And all the world includes our neighborhoods, doesn't it? We need to carry the gospel into our neighborhoods. And why is that? Well, souls are important. And and, and most importantly... Each individual soul is the most precious thing that person has in this world. And we need to consider that. And if we're going to guard our souls and we're going to secure our souls, we have to be obedient to the commandments of God. You see, and that's what Israel was being taught by Ezra. And so it had to begin with the confession. But it has to go beyond realizing there's a problem. You have to have the proper reaction. And Israel did. Israel did. They didn't have a great history of the proper reaction, but they did in this instance. Notice what Ezra was doing. He was weeping. The people were weeping. They knew they had sinned against God. We see that in chapter 10. We know that is godly sorrow, don't we? Godly sorrow worketh unto repentance, right? And so, and it started with this confession of wrongdoing, and they repented of their actions. Sometimes... It isn't action that causes the wrongdoing. Sometimes it's inaction, isn't it? And so we have to be able to make a present-day application. Again, this is kind of a unique situation, right? The whole nation had gone and taken strange wives. They had, uh, they had harmed the bloodline or were in danger of harming the bloodline. And they had no right to marry these folks, these women. And so they were going to have to put them away. They were going to have to put them away. And they recognized that. It was hurtful to them. It was hurtful because they disobeyed God. And now it's hurtful because they got families, right? They've got families. They've got children. They've got wives. But they're going to have to put them away. They're still going to have to care for them. They're going to have to take care of them. But they're going to have to get right with God. Now, sometimes that's an application we can make in this life, right? That happens. That happens. It hurts God's feelings. It hurts people's feelings. But we have to be right with God and make that right choice. But we need to make this overall application in any aspect of our lives. Are we doing wrong in this area? Are we doing wrong in that area? We have to fix that. We have to fix that, right? And how do we do it? How does a congregation react to a problem? How does a congregation move forward? Well, a congregation moves forward as the individuals move forward, right? If the individuals, each member is doing that which is right, the congregation is going to be fine. The congregation is going to be fine. And so we have to consider that. But before we can have a proper relationship with people, we must first have a proper relationship with God. And that's where Israel had messed up. They didn't have a good relationship 
with these wives they had taken because they first didn't have a good relationship with God. And they were not following after His commandments. And our relationship with God is founded in our reaction to the gospel, right? It's founded in our reaction to the to the initial obedience to the gospel plan of salvation. It's founded in our reaction in uh, the second law of pardon if we fall away and we want to be returned to God. It begins with that confession and repentance. And that's what we see going on here in Ezra chapter 10. If hope is going to be accessed, one must begin with confession. And then you have to abide in God's covenant. You see, Ezra realized that. Ezra and Shechaniah understood excuse me, that they needed a covenant with God and they desired to have that. That's what they wanted. They knew it was necessary. And they knew the situation was urgent. They knew they had to do something right now and it re- required immediate attention. They couldn't wait on this. They had to take care of it. Isaiah declared this. Isaiah 55 beginning with verse 6. He said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. What does that mean? Well, there's going to come a time when you can't find him. There's going to come a time when it's too late for him to be found. Right? We have to seek the Lord when he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. That means he's not always going to be there. There's going to come a time when time is up. And we had our opportunity. And maybe we didn't take it. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. See, there is yet hope. Ezra understood that. Shechaniah understood that. And the people understood that. The thing is that often we get distracted. We lose our urgency. And we just kind of think that it will all go away, right? Well, that's not how it happens. That's not how it happens. It happens that we get distracted and it may leave our minds. I mean, after all, look around life. We've got children. We've got house payments, car payments, grocery bills, light bills, water bills. That's just the normal problems of life, right? We have all those things and we can become distracted. So I think it's understandable that life can become overwhelming at times. But we have to focus. We talked about that this morning, right? Focus on the problems, but keep the big picture in mind. I think there are congregations of the Lord's people out there that where the congregations have gotten off a little bit, and it's not because they don't love God. It's because they quit focusing. They lost their attention, and they began to creep slowly away from God. We don't want that to happen. We can have a lot of things that we need concerning the congregation. We look around, we say, boy, I wish the building was completely full. Well, sure, of course we do. I don't know a congregation anywhere that doesn't wish the building was completely full. You know what the, the, the sad thing about that is, is? Is that could happen. That could happen, but how is it going to happen is the thing. Now, we're kind of in a unique situation right now. Hopefully that will go away here before long. But how does it happen that, that we fill up a building? Well, we got to get to work, right? we got to get to work. How was it that, uh, uh, what were these folks doing? They recognized there was a problem. They were, they were willing to do something, right? It's not going to be easy. Are most people going to be open to the gospel? Probably not. 
Probably not, but we were. We were open to the gospel. We surely aren't going to be the only ones who are, who are open to the gospel. There's going to be someone else in our neighborhoods who will listen. We just have to find those folks. That's why Jesus commanded, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, Matthew 28, 19. He did it for a reason, right? But we can't reach them unless we try. Now, you have to have a desire, but you have to be directed. right? A, a, a group of folks have to be directed. We see it in what Ezra was doing. And that's what he did. He, along with the other leaders of Israel, that's why they called them leaders, right? They directed the people what they needed to do. Notice Shechaniah. He determined what was needed. He said, repentance is needed. We have to change some things around here. And that's what he did. He told, his, he told the people, look, if you have an illegal wife, you put that illegal wife away. You turn your life uh, uh, toward God. You know, we read about that throughout the New Testament. What Paul say, Ephesians 4, 28, look, if you're a thief, don't steal anymore. Get a job and work. That way you can help yourself and maybe someone else. So, this is a unique situation, but we make the application across the board, right? Whatever's going on in someone's life that shouldn't be going on, you, you put that away. You put that away. And then you do the right thing, right? Someone says, well, that's kind of harsh. Well, I don't know that it's harsh. I don't think it's any harsher than when uh, John the baptizer was trying to save the souls of the Pharisees who came out just to watch a show, weren't really interested in, in what was going on. Matthew 3, beginning with verse 7. He told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat or worthy of repentance. He said, who warned you to flee? You're not bringing forth repentance. You're not doing anything to to make sure that you can flee, right? So what he was saying was, don't just come here feeling bad about what you've done. Do something about what you've done. Make that change. And we see that in Shechaniah. Uh, you see Paul's statement in what the, uh, was happening in Israel in Ezra's day, they complement each other. Again, it's a unique situation, but we make an application in any aspect of life. Shechaniah told the people, put your desire into action. Do something. Paul told his listeners, stop stealing, go to work. Do something. That's what the universal church must do. We have to look for something to do. How do we fix the problem? Low numbers in the church. I don't know, someone needs to come up with an answer, don't they? We've got about two and a half million members of the church. It's been like that for 50 years. What are we going to do? I don't know. Maybe that's something we need to discuss. There's got to be something. We may need to change something, right? The old ways aren't working anymore, so we might need to figure something else out. But do you remember what Paul told Timothy? I think maybe this is where we all need to start, 1 Timothy four sixteen. He said, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. We need to make sure we're saving ourselves, and then we can... Worry about those that we can teach. And what is the doctrine? You go and make disciples. You teach them about the death, the burial, the resurrection. You remind folks of that. There must be confession. There must be a covenant. But the, 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 the best laid plans are not going to do any good unless we carry them out. That's our third and our final point. Where does it start? 
Where does it start? Well, if we pay attention to Ezra, we learn it begins with the leadership, doesn't it? We learn it begins with the leaders. Leaders lead from the front. You talk to any great military leader or you read anything about a great military leader and you, t- and, and you listen to those people who served under them, you learn they led from the front. They were the example, not just with the authority that they did have, they did have, but with the example that they, that they were to those behind them. You read about George Patton. He was a little rough around the edges, but his men wanted to follow him because he led from the front. Omar Bradley was, a, was an amazing general, but he was a different kind of general. He wasn't necessarily a battlefield general. From what I can tell, he was a strategist. Patton was out in the front. He was directing. He was going out and he was getting it done. You read about uh, uh, George Washington and, and all those folks. They led from the front. They were the examples, right? The leaders of Israel decided to live right in the sight of God and the people followed. They chose to repent and they chose to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. How do we translate that in today's world in our specific situations? Well, if the church is going to grow, elders need to be having Bible studies. If the church is going to grow, deacons need to be having Bible studies. If the church is going to grow, preachers need to be having Bible studies. And if there are no elders and there are no deacons, then we need to be putting something in place to implement the plan that God knows is best. That's what He wants. But it can't stop there. It didn't stop with the leadership. Ezra and Shechaniah and those other people, they weren't the only ones that that were confessing the sins of Israel and pleading with God. The people had to get busy, right? Members of the Lord's church need to be involved in having Bible studies. That's just one example of looking around and saying, what do we need to do as a congregation? That's just one example, right? There are other things that we, that we can talk about. But it has to start with those who are out front as they lead by authority and example. And it can't just be lip service. We can't just talk about it, right? Do you recall when Josiah found the book of the law in the temple? Someone found a book of the law. They hadn't seen that thing in generations. They dusted that off. They brought it to Josiah, and he didn't just look at it and say, boy, that's a nice relic, and set it up and, and, and thumb through it every once in a while. He read into the book of the law, and he put those things into practice. He changed everything, didn't he? He changed everything. He went about restoring true worship in the nation of Israel, 2 Kings 23. And we see the same result when, when the first people uh, heard the, the first gospel sermon. They heard that and they believed it and their response is, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So they put that into practice. You've heard the expression, The road to hell is paved with good intentions. That comes from Dante's divine comedy. As Dante's guide took him to look at hell, on the wall was written all sorts of promises individuals had made to do the right things. Well, those promises all went unfulfilled because those folks never got around to it. They just simply didn't have time or whatever the case is. But isn't that the reality of things? That's the reality, isn't it? People feel a need to obey the gospel, but they don't feel a need to necessarily obey the gospel right now, and they certainly don't feel the need to spread the gospel. And they don't do it. Yet there is hope. 
That's the key phrase. Yet there is hope. And we need to remember that. Let us hold, lay hold unto the opportunities with which we're given. Let's take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, how, how we go about addressing them and carrying them forth, maybe that's something that, that we need to talk about. But to be successful, we have to be doers of something and not just talkers, right? Be doers, not just hearers. That's what James said. We could, and again, this is just one example. We could fill the building, but that would take a lot of work. And 100% of the people would have to be involved in that, right? And we'd have to step out of our comfort zone. We'd have to, have to talk to folks. We'd have to tell them about Jesus. That isn't too hard to do, really. It, it, it seems a lot harder than, than what it actually is. And once you do it a time or two, it just becomes who you are. So that's all part of changing. That's part of becoming that new creature, Romans 6, 3, and 4. That's part of walking that new life and walking in the light, 1 John 1. And that's what God expects. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this hour, if you need to come back to Him for some sin that has separated you from God, there yet is hope as we stand and as we sing.